Thank you for joining us on the sermon podcast for Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We love being able to distribute our sermons in this format, but we would love it even more if you could join us in person at 5208 Crow Mountain Road in Russellville, Arkansas, or online at the Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church Facebook page. We have Sunday school classes at 9 a.m. with a worship service right after at 10 a.m. Let's now prepare our hearts to hear a message from God's Word. Uh, We started talking about um, how Jesus calls us to greater works. And like I mentioned last week, I was going to just preach this passage for Pentecost Sunday and and be done with it and move on to something else. And then I realized I got to nine and a half pages of notes and I still had my first point. And so I thought, well, rather than holding them hostage, um, we will do a series and so that's what we're going to work with over the next few weeks. Last week, uh, last week, if you remember, we talked about uh, the greater works that Christ calls us to. We talked about uh, how Jesus tells us that we will do uh, greater works because he goes to be with the Father. And you think about that, and this is just a review from last week. You think about that, and you think, well, how can I possibly do morally greater works uh, than Christ? And the answer is simple. You can't. Because there is no such thing as morally greater works than Christ. But what you can do is you can allow uh, you can allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life in such a way that He shines the light of the gospel through the lens of your human frailty and shown against the backdrop of your human frailty, the, the, the works that Christ calls you to are shining much greater in a more magnificent way uh, than if it were... Jesus himself. Because here's the thing. Jesus himself is God's son. He is God in the flesh. He could do anything he wants. And so when Jesus feeds 5,000, multiplying bread and fish, yes, it's a miracle. And we're amazed at at it, but we also understand that he's God in the flesh. When Jesus heals a leper, we're amazed at it, and rightly so. But we understand that he's God in the flesh. But whenever we gather as the church... And we read a passage like, Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray with them, anointing them with oil. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick. If we have someone come up for prayer, and the elders come forward and anoint them with oil, and then they receive their healing, it's not a morally greater work than what Christ did, because it can't be morally greater. But it is. But it, but it shows in greater volume because God, it's not simply God directly touching the person even though He does, but He's touching the person through human frailty. And that's what, that, that's what greater works are. And so that's what we talked about last week. And... Um, So this week, we are going to explore more of what Jesus says in this context of John 14. And so we're going to read John 14, 13, and 14. And then we're going to skip over to Romans chapter 8 and read uh, Romans 8, 26, and 27. So if you would, uh, stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord. Whatever you ask in my name... I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Romans 8, 26 and 27. 
In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This ends the reading of God's Word, the Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, this is Your Word and we are Your people and we have come to Your house hungry. We have come to your house hungry for the bread that comes from heaven. And so, Father, would you feed us at this time? We ask it in your name. Amen. Last week we talked about how John 14 through 17 is Jesus' farewell discourse. These are the things that his disciples absolutely need to know before he goes away. And so what does he do? He talks about the Holy Spirit. And he tells the disciples how the Holy Spirit will cause them to do the works that Christ did in greater. And so last week we talked about how it's possible to do greater works and how necessary the Holy Spirit is for our lives and in our walk with God. Um, and another thing I want to remind us of from last week that I feel is, is so essential is that the Holy Spirit is not simply an emotion or a force. He is a person. He is a person that we can relate to and that we can engage with. Not only that, but He is a person that engages with us in very real ways. And we're going to talk we're going to talk a little bit about how he does that this morning. But if you remember from last week, there's four things that ultimately I wanted us to get out of uh, this whole series that we're doing. And number one, it's that the Holy Spirit empowers us for works of ministry. Number two, it's that the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer life, which is what we'll talk about this morning. The Holy Spirit empowers us for obedience. And then finally, the Holy Spirit assures us of adoption. And those are the topics that we're going to cover for the next few weeks, and we'll probably spread that out a little bit more as time goes on, because this is a very important topic that I feel we need to address and that I feel we need to work on, because as we're going through 1 Corinthians on Tuesday nights in our Bible study, uh, I kind of took a, a poll, if you will, of everyone who was present, and I asked y'all, you know, um, what, have you seen the gifts of the Spirit at work in your life? Well, no one, had really, no one had really seen tongues or interpretation of tongues, and no one had really ever experienced prophecy outside of the formal uh, way of prophecy through the preaching of the Word. Uh, but many of you had either experienced or known someone who had experienced divine healing. And so... What we, what, we, what we discovered as through, through our discussion and through the study of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit is still at work in the church. The Holy Spirit is still doing things in and through the church, but it may not be showy. It may not be the things that we would think of. You know, it may not be like if you, if you were to go to a charismatic revival or a charismatic service and, and see a lot of activity and see people running around shouting. It may not be like that. But the Holy Spirit certainly is at work. And what we, and uh, whenever we were talking about the gifts of the Spirit, um, what we found is that all of us believed that God the Holy Spirit is still at work. And so if God the Holy Spirit is still at work, and God the Holy Spirit is a person that we can relate to and that relates to us and engages with us, then this should be something that we talk about. One of the things, this is what I was going to mention, is that when we were talking about our experiences with the gifts of the Spirit, what we found is that not many, not many of you, uh, or at least not many of you who were present at the Bible study, had ever been to a church where the pastor uh, had spoken at length 
about the work of the Holy Spirit or had spoken at length about the gifts of the Spirit. And, it's, and so that, that leads me to believe that this is a doctrine that has been neglected. And so that's one of the reasons why we're doing this. Because, we, because if we understand that God is, that we, have, that we serve one God with three persons... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we understand the work of God the Father, and we understand the work of God the Son. How is it that we don't understand the work of God the Holy Spirit? And so that's, that's why we're walking through this at this time. And so this morning, as we talk about these two passages from John 14 and Romans 8, I want, us to, I want to make two points this morning. I want to talk about the duty of prayer, and I want to talk about the delight of prayer. If you were to take a stopwatch and turn it on whenever you sat down to pray, and then turned it off whenever you got done, how much time would be on that stopwatch? Now, think about it if you did it all throughout the week. If you started on Sunday and ended on Saturday... How much time would you accumulate on that stopwatch? 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours? Many times we neglect set times of prayer, and we come up with all kinds of excuses for it. We, we neglect the duty of prayer, and we say, well, I pray all the time. And it's good that you, if you do pray all the time, it's good because the, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that we should pray without ceasing. But here's my question, do we have set times of prayer and devotion. Pastor David Murray told of a time when a young man was struggling in his walk with God, and this young man came into his office, and Pastor Murray asked, Well, son, do you have set times where you sit down and pray during the day? And the young man said, Well, I don't pray at set times because I pray all the time. And David Murray was taken aback by this. He said, uh, I was taken aback and not quite sure how to respond at first. It sounded super spiritual, and yet his life was far from holy. Well, that's great that you pray all the time, son. Uh, but why would you not want to have a set time of prayer as well? And, over the, and Murray said that over the course of the next hour or so, the young man explained why he didn't believe it was necessary or important to set aside specific time for prayer each day. And the three main objections that the young man had were, number one, that he didn't want to be legalistic about it. Number two, it was difficult to fit into his schedule. And number three, he preferred his prayers to be spontaneous. And those, those also happen to be the most common objections as to why most people don't pray at set times. But when you think about it, and I mean really think about it, all of those objections are just excuses. I mean, think about it, first of all, from the standpoint of not wanting to be legalistic. We have doctor's appointments, we have lunch appointments, and other things that we have to do where we have to show up at a certain time, we have to wake up at a certain time, we have to be at work at a certain time. So why not pray at a certain time? How would we feel if our local police department said, well, we're not going to... We're not going to, we're just going to stop training our newly hired police officers on how to properly handle their weapons because, you know, that's just too legalistic. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? We wouldn't feel very safe, would we? And then we might say, well, I'm too busy. It's hard to fit into my schedule. 
There's no doubt, and here's Murray again, he says there's no doubt that setting aside time to pray impinges upon our schedule. It takes time away from other activities and people. It's hard to fit into busy mornings when we're rushing to work and getting others rushed to work. It's hard to fit into the evening when we're tired and trying to wind down. But if for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under, the, under heaven, then surely there must be a time for prayer. If all the other activities of life have set times, then why not prayer? Our problem is not usually our busy schedule, it's our upside-down priorities. If we are too busy to pray, we are too busy, period. God calls us to be still and know that He is God. Knowing God necessitates stillness with God. I'll say that again. Knowing God necessitates stillness with God. And then we might say, I want to be spontaneous when I pray. Murray goes on to say that most of the time I forced myself to pray because if I waited for feelings of prayer, I would have prayed only a handful of times in my life. Having said that, I can't count the number of times I forced myself to pray and the feelings have forced themselves into my life. I started praying out of habit and it became a joy. I've also noticed that my spontaneous prayers were more common when scheduled prayers were more consistent. And so why, are we going, why am I going all through this? Because here's the thing. If we're going to understand how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we pray, we have to be reminded that prayer itself in general is a necessity. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable. Luke 18, 1 through 8, Jesus said, Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. And then he says, he tells the story. He says, There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him, to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And so what's Jesus getting at here? What's Jesus getting at? He's saying that if, if this judge, and he's telling a hypothetical story, he says if this judge who fears neither God nor man will finally give in to the request of this woman. How much more will your Father in Heaven, who actually loves you and actually cares for you, give you mercy, give you grace, and give you justice when you ask for it? And see, our problem is either that we understand how great the need for prayer is and we neglect that need, or we don't really believe that God will give us what we ask for. And so, which is it? Are we lazy or do we just not believe? Well, don't worry, I got myself on that one too. And so listen, I, I could preach this parable all by itself, and I, and I just might do it at some point during the series, but the main thing I want us to see here in verse 1, why does Jesus go to the trouble of telling them this parable? Why does he go into this story? Just look at 18.1 again. Notice number 1, he says, they need to pray. Now he, told them the, now he told them a parable on the need 
for them to pray. They don't just need to pray, but they need to pray always. He told them a parable on the need for them to pray always. And they don't just need to pray always, but they need to pray always and not give Many times I feel like we neglect the duty of prayer because I feel like we fail to see it as an essential necessity for our lives. We don't understand the benefit of prayer, so we simply don't make it a priority. Let me tell you this right now. If your prayer life is weak, the rest of your life is going to be weak. Do you ever wonder why if you're believing the right things and doing the right things that there are so many things wrong in your life? Do you ever feel like things are going wrong all the time and you can't seem to get a handle on it? It's because your prayer life is suffering. Now listen, if you pray more, your problems won't magically disappear. You'll still encounter hurt. You'll still encounter suffering. You'll still encounter chaos. But if you make it a necessity to meet with the Lord daily in your prayer life, you'll be more equipped to handle those things when they come into your life. So not only is there the duty of prayer, but there is a delight that we can experience in prayer. Look at Romans 8, 26 and 27 again. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us us with inexpressible groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The delight of prayer is that when we go to God and approach the throne room of grace, we can count on the Holy Spirit to be with us when we pray. I remember being in a church service where if you went down the altar to pray, you could guarantee that there would be people who would meet you down there. There were godly men and women who wrestled with God in prayer. And through their prayers, they could escort you into the throne room of grace. And if it's a powerful experience to have those kinds of people praying with you and for you, how much more powerful is it to know that the Holy Spirit of God is right there with you, interceding for you and interceding with you? The delight of prayer is that God Himself is willing to help us when we approach Him, not knowing what to pray. But we've got to approach Him. We've got to meet Him in prayer. What we just read in Romans 8.26 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It doesn't say that He helps us in our absence. We've got to make prayer a priority. Notice in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 14, after Jesus ascended, uh, the disciples went to the upper room and the text says that they were united in prayer. Acts 2.42, it, uh, it says of the apostles that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In Acts chapter 4 verses 23 through 31 the apostles prayed after they were released from prison and then verse 31 says that when they prayed the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now let me just get on a rabbit trail here. Now we read Acts chapter 4 and it says that they prayed and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We we think that and we reread that and we think, well, weren't they already filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2? How is it that they're filled with the Holy Spirit again in Acts chapter 4? 
It's because even though you're saved, even though you're already filled with the Holy Spirit, there are times in your walk with God where you need more power, where you need more strength, where you need more boldness. And those things can only come from an encounter with the Holy Spirit in the place of prayer. You need power. You need strength. You need resolve. You need a backbone. And where does it come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God being poured out upon you. The only way you're going to be effective in doing what God has called you to do is if the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. I told you Tuesday in Bible study that if I have to, I'd, be, I'd get Presbycostal on y'all. Listen. What we need more than ever is we need a fresh renewal. We need a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. I remember being in service at Scottsville Assembly of God. There was a Section 6 leadership conference. Dr. Ron Kelly came and preached and he got up to the pulpit and he said, I brought notes, I prepared a sermon. And he said, you know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to put it in my pocket because I felt led of God to do something. He opened up his Bible and he read Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. He said, and it came to pass on the day of Pentecost that they were all gathered together in one place. And he read Acts 2, 1 through 4, didn't even look at his Bible, just quoted it verbatim. And when he and when as soon as he read it, the Holy Ghost poured out on the service. And I don't remember much of what he said in his message. But I remember loudly and clearly him saying over and over again, What we need is the Holy Ghost. What we need is the Holy Ghost. Listen, we I'm tired of functioning as if we don't need the Holy Spirit. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of, of everything just being routine down, down to the last drop, down to the last letter. I want to see a movement of God. I don't just want a good feeling. I don't just want an emotional experience. I want to see God move and I want to see God do something. I'll tell you what happened last week. I went, to, I went to Lavaca Assembly of God and preached for my friend Robbie Willis. It was Sunday night at Lavaca Assembly, and buddy, we had church. And I told Brittany, that, I told Brittany last week, I said, I, I feel like a kid who just got back from church camp. But you know what happens when, when you have a, a bunch of youth, crew, youth kids who go to church camp to have a good time, to come back on fire for God, and eventually it dwindles down into ash. I don't want that to happen. I want to keep the fire going. How do you keep the fire going? How do you, how do you sustain the fire? How do you sustain the flame? You do it with prayer. You do it with the pursuit of God. You do it by making prayer and holiness a priority in your life. And so, what do we need to do if we want to see God work? We need to get serious about what God's doing. We need to get serious about God. We need to get serious about our prayer life. I remember uh, Elder Kirk Harrell from my first church. He was telling me a story about uh, that church before I had gotten there. They were looking for a pastor. They didn't have a pastor. And Kirk had showed up to Bible study one Wednesday night and everyone, all the elders were just talking about how, oh, you know, I wish God would send us a pastor. I wish God would would send us a good man of God to lead the church and help grow the church and all this. And Kirk looked at the session. Look, all the elders from the session were there that Wednesday night for Bible study. He looked at all of them and he said, well, have you actually prayed about it? 
He said, well, they said, oh, yeah, we, we mention it whenever we pray. And he said, no, no, no. Have you prayed about it? Have you got on your face before God down at the altar and said, God, send us somebody? They said, well, you know, I don't, I don't know about all that. And they went, for another, they went for another six to nine months without a pastor. Listen, if you, if you want to see God move, then you've got to understand that He has made the throne room of grace available to you with an open door policy. You can come and sit in His throne room and ask Him, God, would you please move on my behalf? God, would you please heal me? God, would you please save my loved ones? And you know what? He will hear your prayers. We've got to make prayer a priority. What you need, what I need, is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will awaken our hearts to who God is in our life and how essential our connection to Him in prayer is. The delight of prayer... The delight of prayer is that the Holy Spirit will help us pray, but we shouldn't dare to experience the delight of prayer as long as we neglect the duty of prayer. I will say that again. We shouldn't dare to experience the delight of prayer as long as we neglect the duty of prayer. As long as we forget the duty of prayer, we will always be forfeiting the delight of prayer. The other day while I was driving on my, you know, on my way to get Brittany from work, I was thinking about everything that's been going on, both globally and locally, personally. And I thought how gas is expensive, prices are going up, inflation's at an all-time high, and we're trying to plan to go see her family in July. Been thinking about our denomination, been thinking about how our friend's daughter just passed away, been thinking about how to get more people in the church. Just everything was going through my mind all at once, and I had this thought that there were so many things to pray about and yet I don't pray near enough to handle everything that's going on. I have all of this weight on my shoulders. What can I do with it? Well, I can either allow myself to be crushed <laughs> under the weight of it, or I can give it to God. The Apostle Peter says, all of you, this is in 1 Peter 5, 5b-7, through 7, he says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you in a proper time, casting all of your cares upon Him, because He cares about you. Every day when you get up out of bed, there are challenges awaiting you, and there are temptations and hidden snares that the devil has set before you. And you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit more than money, more than food, more than shelter, or anything else you consider to be a basic necessity. And that empowerment only comes through prayer. And, when, and what happens is when we, when we neglect our prayer life, we, what we essentially say to God is we say, I've got this, I can handle it on my own. I don't need to take it to you, thank you very much. I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl, I can carry this weight by myself. And the reality is you can't. Remember when some of you were parents and you had kids growing up and they were learning to tie their shoes. And you'd see them with an untied shoe and they'd say, well let me, you'd say, well let me tie that for you. And if they, were, if they felt like they were big enough, they'd say, no, I, I can do it myself, right? And so they would sit there and try to tie their shoes and they would wind up with 14,000 different knots. And you're looking at that thinking, well, that's, that's talented right there because I certainly could, couldn't have done that, <laughs> right? And somehow their shoe still comes untied. Why? Because 
They're prideful. They think they got it. And so what we do is we look at God and we say, well, God, I got this. And then we wind up creating more problems than what we initially had. And so pride says, I've got this. I can handle it. I don't need to pray. But humility says, I've got to take this to God. I've got to take this to God. I can't handle it. And so my question for us this morning is, what are you going to choose this morning? Are you going to choose pride or are you going to choose humility? I'm going to pray for us this morning. After I pray, Brittany's going to come up and she's going to lead us in a song. You know, I get it. We're, we're good, proper Cumberland Presbyterians. We don't do altar calls, you know, things like that. But listen, if you have a need this morning, you can come down here. I will pray with you. The elders will pray with you. Elders, you will pray with them, right? Right? <laughs> you can use this altar down here. These front seats make good altars. Listen, we can go to God and we can meet God together this morning if you have a need. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you are good even when we're not. And so, Father, we trust your goodness, your mercy. We trust your character. Father, would you overshadow us with your spirit this morning and allow us to see our need for you. Father, would you break our pride? Would you break our hard hearts? And would you pour yourself out on us this morning? Allow us to profoundly experience you in a new and holy and humble and helpful way this morning. Let us see you as good and let us see you as a God who offers himself to us. All we have to do is walk into your throne room of grace and take what you're offering us. We, and I ask that you would allow us to do that this morning. I ask it in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special message. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the preaching and teaching of God's word. Now, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen.